If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 20, right at the back of the Bible. Revelation 20, if you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you. It's page 1252 in that Bible. Uh, are you guys ready for this? I am and have been admittedly a little nervous for this one. And uh, as we were talking about what we wanted to do with our summer uh, teaching for the summer series, um, I wanted to have something, just a little mini-series we could do for the month of July. And as Mesh and I were talking and praying and trying to figure all that out, uh, this is where we landed. And I think it's really important. And I think I'm a little bit scared to dive into it. And so uh, I appreciate your grace as we jump into this together. Appreciate your prayers as we jump into this together. Because there is a reality that Scripture talks about, that there is a place called hell that waits for some of us, at least, on the other side of this life. And the descriptions that Scripture give us about hell are terrifying, to be honest. They are scary. This is not light and fluffy stuff. And if there is a place called hell, then for those of us who revere the scriptures and those of us who are wanting to please God and those of us who are hoping for heaven, then it just feels really important for us to have some understanding about this other place. And so we're going to take the next few weeks, this Sunday, and then three more to dive into this topic. And if you're not here because this is summertime and you're on holidays or wherever, encourage you certainly to catch up on anything you miss. The four Sundays really go together. Uh, so if you only can catch one or two, it'd be helpful to catch up on other ones. And by the way, uh, if you missed this, there is a video camera up here right now. I mean, all of our sermons are now being filmed, videoed, and those are going up on the website as well. So Xavier and his team have been working hard on that. Uh, so it's not just audio we have to catch up on, you can watch it as well, which is pretty awesome. When I was uh, trying to figure out what I was doing in life, I did a year at York University. I was going to be an actor. <laughs> My parents let me do that. They let me take a year, and I went to York, and they did that because they are loving and supportive. And I flushed that out that year, realized that wasn't what I was supposed to be doing, but uh, I spent a year living in Toronto attending York University. I was called into ministry after that. But in my year at York, I was a pretty new Christian. I got saved just before I headed off to university. And, uh, and I would talk about Jesus sometimes with other people in my program. And there were a lot of atheists there and a lot of questioning people there. And so we would have conversations. And I remember having a conversation with two girls. We were working on a project together for school. And uh, it came up just as we were at the library about sort of Jesus and heaven and hell and the afterlife. And they were both atheists. But as we discussed it, they talked about uh, maybe a, a conversation that you have had similarly yourself or, or even struggled with yourself. But they asked the question, if God is so good, right? How many have heard this, know where this is going? If God is so good, then how could he possibly torture people in hell forever? If God is that loving and that merciful, then hell can't be real, right? Because that's not consistent with his love and his mercy. If God, uh, even if we, we believe that God is just and sin needs to be punished, torturing people for eternity isn't really justice for sins committed in an earthly life. That's overkill. That's way more punishment than, than sins deserve. One of the girls said to me, if I was Hitler every day of my life for a hundred years on earth, if I was just the worst, most evil person, still an eternity of torture does not seem to line up with a hundred years. It, it seems like that's not justice. It seems like that's way worse than justice. 
And then one of the girls said, and besides, it sounds like all the fun people are going to be in hell anyway. And all the uptight, lame Christians are going to be up in heaven. Why would I want to be there anyway? So that was almost 20 years ago I had that conversation. It has stuck with me. And, and maybe you've had some similar type conversations yourself. And maybe you have struggled with some of those questions yourself. And so we want to take some time over the next few weeks. Uh, I am not ambitious enough to think we're going to solve anything in four weeks of teaching, but we are going to take some time to dig into Scripture and sort of at least get some more understanding on the nature of hell, the nature of what it's going to look like. Is it going to be for eternity? What is it going to be? like and what does Jesus have to do with all of it I want to show you a video as we get started here today this is just a man on the street interview they went down with a microphone and they asked the people on the street what do you think about hell so take a look what do you think about hell what's it like I ain't never been so I really can't tell you <laughs> I really don't know off the top of my head that's one that you got to think one thing I can say is it ain't no fun down there for what for what what the good books say. Something that we'll never know I, um, until you get there, I guess. Um, Eternal damnation, fire, uh, it's, it ain't nothing good. It's just one of those things that humans just have to fear. It's your greatest fears, really. Biblically, it's separation from God. Um, I think if you take the absolute worst thing you've ever experienced on earth and multiply it by about an infinite amount of times, I think that's what hell's going to be like. In the pop culture, I guess it's being thrown in the lake of fire and burning over and over. It's uh, very hot. Um, it's uh, not pleasurable. It's very unpleasant. Um, not a place I'd want to be. It's whatever is going to be miserable for you. It, it changes. It's more of a state of mind than, a, than an actual place that you can see. It evolves. I think the worst thing about hell is that it's going to be ongoing forever. I think it's beyond our wildest fears. You you want to die, but you are not able to die, or you want to, like, it's like, you are in the between state, like, you are totally suffering, and it's like a wound that never heals, like, it's, it's like that. It's pretty much the opposite of heaven. Heaven's our wildest imagination, hell is our wildest fears. What types of people go to hell? Who knows? I think that there are sins that people commit here that's unforgivable. No idea? I have ideas, but eh, they're not formulated into speech so far. If you, you can make a bad choice, but then realize like, hey, that was a bad choice. But if you're like, hey, that was a bad choice and I love it, and that's how I want to live my life, then I guess that's the difference. Especially if you don't repent, man. I think them the type of people that go to hell, people who don't repent for their sin. So any sin that I don't repent for or just the really unforgivable? Man. And see, that's where it starts getting a little tricky, ain't it? <laughs> people that commit mass genocide are definitely going to go to hell. What types of people go to hell? Hopefully people that deserve to. Sinners, or uh, bad sinners, sinners that don't repent. People who make bad choices even though they know that they can be making good choices and just deny that they have better options. I feel like if you're good, that ways are bad, you know what I'm saying? You're gonna go to heaven either way it goes. Bad people, I would say murderers, stuff like that. So who goes to hell? Only God knows that, you know, nobody knows. What kinds of people go to hell? Are those that don't believe in Jesus Christ. So that solves it pretty much, eh? Are we good? Um, we're not gonna, again, we won't 
solve any of these, I think, in the next few weeks, but we are going to engage with some of those questions. And so let's take a look at our text this morning. We're in Revelation chapter 20, and we're starting in verse 11. This is speaking of the end of time, the final judgment. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So again, this is not light, fluffy stuff, but I think it's so important. And anytime we talk about hell, uh, theologians and teachers sometimes talk about the problem of hell and not the problem uh, necessarily of what the scripture says about it, but just the questions that hell raises, which we've already touched on. If God is so loving, then how can hell exist? If God is so merciful, how can people be punished for all eternity? And, and if God even is so just, uh, how does a, a lifetime, an eternity of judgment line up with even a lifetime of sin? And, and these questions are not easy. And uh, part of doing this series is I would like us to start to have some answers to these questions for ourselves. And also as we talk to those maybe who are struggling with it, who don't know the Lord or who are atheists and who are struggling along with these things, because this is a pretty big stumbling block for a lot of people. How many people know people who have trouble trusting in God because of the issue of hell? It's been called the toughest issue for us to intellectually wrap our heads around. And so it is, again, not something we'll solve, but something we'll dig into. Uh, because what we believe about hell is also going to reflect something of what we believe about God. And it's going to teach us something about him. And so we want to take some time to go through a bunch of scripture. We won't go through too much scripture today, but we'll go through a bunch more in the weeks to come. And even as these questions are challenging and we struggle with the, the theology of hell, the philosophy, the philosophical questions of God's mercy and love and justice and, and righteousness and punishment for sins and all of these things that are kind of in tension together, ultimately what matters is what does the Bible say about this, right? Even as we struggle with these questions. Scripture will be our final word. And yet, not all Christians agree with what the Bible says about hell. And so we're going to dig into that too a little bit and spend some time in that. In the Old Testament, hell doesn't really have too much of a, a, a focus. Uh, there is what they call Sheol in the Hebrew, which in our English translation often gets translated as the grave or the pit or the deep. And it is viewed as the place where everybody goes. So King David in the Psalms would say, Lord, do not send me down to the grave. Do not send me down to the pit. There was an understanding that uh, when you died, you went to this, this dark place. And in their worldview, it was deep under the earth somewhere. And so you would go there. And there was no understanding really too much about kind of the hope of heaven because Jesus had not come yet to bring people into heaven. And so it's a little complicated as to what happened when you died back then, and theologians don't totally agree, but uh, I think there's maybe a bit of a broad consensus that if you died before Jesus, you went to Sheol, and you waited, and then when Jesus rose from the dead, if you were one of the righteous, you would go to heaven, and, and if you weren't, you would not. But that's all we really see in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, uh, it gets talked about a lot more. Jesus comes to bring this revelation. Jesus talked about hell a lot, and the word that Jesus would use to talk about hell is Gehenna. 
And Gehenna is in the Greek. What it literally means is in the Valley of Hinnom, which was a real actual geographical place just outside the city of Jerusalem. And so when Jesus talked about the wicked when they die, they go to hell. In his language, what he's saying is the wicked when they die, they will go down into the valley of Hinnom. And this was a place that had a lot of uh, symbolic meaning for the Jewish people. And that in the Old Testament, there were times when Israel walked with God, and there were times when they didn't walk with God. And when Israel didn't walk with God, they really didn't walk with God. Uh, they went extremely in the opposite direction. And so in this place, in the valley of Hinnom, it was outside the city walls, uh, what would happen was when Israel wasn't walking with God, that became the place of a lot of very evil behavior. They would set up idols down there and they would worship them. Uh, they would have their, uh, their unusual sort of religious sexual things that they would do as part of their idol worship. And there were even points where they would offer their children uh, as sacrifice. And that all happened in this place called the Valley of Hinnom. And so when Jeremiah, the prophet, arrives on the scene, he is speaking for God. He is warning Israel of judgment. And one of the things that Jeremiah would prophesy uh, as God speaks through him in Jeremiah chapter 7, God says, The people of Judah have done evil in my eyes, declares the Lord. They've set up their detestable idols in the house that bears my name and have defiled it. They have built the high places of Topheth in the valley of Hinnom. There it is. So outside Jerusalem, they've set up these idols to burn their sons and daughters in the fire, something I did not command, nor did it enter my mind. So beware, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the people will no longer call it Topheth or the valley of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. For they will bury the dead in Topheth until there is no more room. And so God shows up and speaks to Jeremiah and says, I have seen all the evil you have done in the valley of Hinnom. And because you have done all of these horrific, unspeakable things, the worst kind of evil has been happening in this valley. My anger, my judgment is about to come on this valley. And so this is part of God's word. This is the scripture that Jesus read and all of the, the faithful Jewish people of his time read. So the Valley of Hinnom for them, it was a literal place outside the city. But if you said Valley of Hinnom, any Jewish person at the time would say, oh, that evil place of God's judgment. It's that place where horrific things happen. It's that awful evil place where God's anger gets poured out. And that's the picture Jesus uses of this place in the afterlife. Jesus says, when the wicked perish, they are gonna go to the Valley of Hinnom. And anyone listening would have went, oh, that, that horrible place. Uh, sometimes you'll see a house you know, on the news or something and there was maybe a murder there or something awful. No one wants to go in that house anymore. Right? There's just something about that. My parents, we love history in our family. My parents once went to Gettysburg to, to visit that battlefield. They were on a road trip and they stopped off there. And you drove around the battlefield, and there was a CD that you played in your car, and you would play it at different points, and there would be someone who would explain what happened here. And so there was one point where they got, and they, they got out, and they walked around a bit. And my mom said, oh, it, I don't know how to describe it. You know, we believe in a spiritual realm, but she said, it just felt heavy. It just felt dark to be standing on this ground. And when they hit play to hear what had gone on here, 
the, the historian on the recording said, you know, this is, it was called the Devil's Den, and said this is where some of the bloodiest fighting in the war, it was hand-to-hand, it was brutal, and you could actually, they said you could walk across the field without your feet actually talking, uh, touching the ground, because the bodies were just so packed together. And so my mom didn't know that, but she said when you were there, you just felt there was something evil, there was something dark about this place. And, and to hear that, went, no, that makes sense. There was a lot of blood that was shed there. It was, it was just brutal. And so Jesus chooses a, a literal place to give us a picture. Uh, people in the afterlife are going to this awful place. People in the afterlife are going to this place where there's not a lot of good. Uh, if Jesus was speaking in Leamington today, he might say in the afterlife, everyone's going to Wheatley, if you know what I'm saying. I don't really get that joke because I haven't lived here for that long, but I knew it would get a laugh, so I don't really understand it. I know lots of people from Wheatley. They're all lovely. <laughs> Leamington really likes to look down on Wheatley. Kingsville really likes to look down on Leamington. Windsor really likes to look down on Kingsville, and on and on and on it goes. But this is the picture. So here it is today. That's the, the number one on the picture here. Number two is the old city of Jerusalem. Number one is the valley. Uh, so the valley is still there. And so that was the place where it was kind of like you didn't speak of that place because horrible things had happened in that valley and God's judgment was going to come on that valley. And Jesus says, that is the picture I want you to have in mind as we think about this place in the afterlife. And uh, there has been some speculation. It's not kind of crystal clear. Some theologians did disagree about it, but there is speculation that because these horrible things had happened in that valley, uh, no one wanted to live there. You didn't want to build a house there. You didn't want to farm there because that was, that was God's judgment land, right? Why would you ever want to build a house in the place where uh, it's going to be known as the Valley of Slaughter? Why would you ever want to do that? And so they didn't want to, to build anything there, and so it is believed by some that at the time uh, it became the garbage dump for Jerusalem. It became the place where uh, there was a fire burning to consume the garbage, and the fire was burning all the time, and that's where you would take your trash, and uh, it became that, you know, important real estate for a city, but because no one wanted to live there, uh, it fulfilled that purpose. And so the fire was always burning, and the smoke was always rising, and that's where things were taken outside of the city of God and discarded. And Jesus says, again, that's what we're talking about in this place that exists after eternity. And it must have been interesting, if this is true, that whenever Jesus was talking about hell, he was talking about, so, you know, there's this valley of Hinnom, there's this place where people are going to go who are, who are wicked, and if he's teaching that, you know exactly what he's talking about. The smoke is rising right there. You can see that smoke anywhere. You know the fire is burning there. You know that that is there. It's within sight of your city. And so Jesus, that's his main word to talk about this place, Gehenna, in the valley, uh, just a symbol of this evil place where God's judgment is poured out for evil that is done. His righteous judgment comes. Uh, on this place. So that was Jesus' favorite word. It's not the only way the New Testament and Scripture talk about hell. Uh, let's talk about a lake of fire. That was in our passage today. A place of burning sulfur, and uh, sulfur burns hot, and it smells horrific if you've ever witnessed that. It's talked about as an abyss uh, in Revelation chapter 9, just a big empty darkness. Hell is talked about as the place of eternal punishment. It's talked about as a blazing furnace. Hell is talked about as a place of being chained in the darkness, like a prison. 
Uh, it's talked about that as well. Hell is called the place of never-ending fire, of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Gnashing of teeth is just like, like just in agony. You're gritting your teeth uh, in, in despair. Uh, the place of weeping, of loss, of hopelessness. Hell is called a place of outer darkness. It is also called the place of no rest and the place where we are cut off from God's presence forever. And that last one is maybe the scariest one, because whatever we go through in this life, however horrific or difficult it might be, uh, God is still here. There is still grace. There is still signs of his goodness. The sun still shines, and the food still grows. Uh, and there are signs of his blessing, even if we are struggling. But uh, 2 Thessalonians 1.9 talks about hell is the place you're cut off. God is not in that place. You are cut off from his presence forever. So all of these things paint a picture. Um, sometimes get asked, is this literal? Do we take these things literally? And I would say, uh, generally, I don't think we need to, no. Uh, some of these pictures contradict each other to some extent, right? How can hell be a lake of fire and a prison, and a place of, of fire with light, but also complete darkness? Uh, there's no need. Scripture always uses fire as a symbol of God's judgment. And so whether there is literally a lake of fire, uh, we can go there. I don't think we're bound to go there. All of these things, you know, if we don't want to get bogged down in that kind of debate, uh, they obviously all paint a horrific picture, right? They paint a picture of a place, uh, whether it's a blackened prison that you never get out of, or whether it's a lake of fire, uh, or whether it's a place where there is just absolutely no hope, or no sense of love, or no sense of goodness, because you're cut off from God's presence. Uh, this is not a place we want to be. And this is a place, if we believe this, if we take this seriously, I always think of when Pastor Mesh was preaching here once, I think it was when he was preaching the call, and he showed uh, a video from Penn, from Penn and Teller, and uh, the magician, the illusionist. And he's a hardcore atheist, and he's, he would call himself an evangelistic atheist. He believes it's his job to convert people to atheism. But one of the things he said in that video is, if you believe this place is real and you don't share your faith, what kind of Christian are you? This is an atheist getting in our faces about this. He says, if you believe that I'm going here, you know, like, how can you stay silent on that and call yourself a Christian? He says, if I see you in the street and a truck is heading towards you, at some point I'm not going to be polite. I'm just going to tackle you and get you out of the way. Like, if we believe in the reality of hell, uh, that needs to push us towards action. It needs to push us towards mission. It needs to push us towards sharing. And the question often becomes, how could God create this place for us to burn in forever or, or be in the darkness forever? How could a loving God make this place that people are going to be put in? Why would God create this for us to go into? And honestly, the simple answer to that question was this was never created for us to go into. This was not for us. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells the parable of the sheep and the goats. He's talking about the afterlife. And for the right, to the righteous people, to the sheep in the story, Jesus says, come into the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. That heaven was prepared for us. That heaven is for you. Heaven is what he wanted for you. And I'm always a little wary in the times in which we live in because a lot of our teaching and a lot of our worship makes things all about us because we're a very us-centered culture and we always need to be careful of that. But here's Jesus talking and saying the kingdom of heaven was prepared for you. 
It was done for you. Kingdom of heaven is there for you. It's what he wants for you. On the flip side, in the same story, Jesus says there is uh, an eternal fire. It wasn't prepared for you. Heaven was prepared for you. The fire was prepared for the devil and his angels. That Satan, who has led the whole world astray, who has introduced evil, who has seduced humanity, who has inflicted death and sickness and everything, uh, there's nowhere in Scripture that suggests there is hope for him. There is nowhere in Scripture that suggests that he can repent and have things turn around uh, that is offered to us, that is not ever suggested for him. But hell is there, was always there to deal with Satan, to deal with the worst of evil, to deal with those who rebelled against God and have set themselves to destroy the world. It was never there for us. And so that helps a little bit in understanding God, and yet it is still there, and we can still end up there. And for some people, God seems needlessly cruel if this exists, and we might end up there. But it's not as cruel if we understand that God has given us the ability to live our lives the way we choose to live. And that could include following him. It can include absolutely not. It can include choosing the way of sin, choosing the way of selfishness. I can either choose to follow Jesus or I can choose to follow the devil. Whichever one I follow, I will follow into the afterlife. And God is cruel if he's created this place and that's it. But if this place exists and God doesn't want us to go there and he has sent us thousands of years of prophets to tell us the right way to go, and if he has sent us a scripture that tells us the right way to go, and if he has sent us his son to die for us so that we don't have to go there, and if he has given the world a church whose job is to go out and say there is a way to avoid this, then he's not cruel at all. He's the good father saying, don't play in that street. Get out of the street. The traffic is bad. He's the good father who's saying, yeah, there is a cliff at the end of this life, and most of us are heading off of this cliff, but there is a way to not go there. And God, if you read the word and if you understand his heart, has done everything possible to make sure we don't go there, short of just putting his hand upon us and overriding any freedom that we have and forcing us to do whatever he wants us to do, and we don't believe he's done that. We believe he's given us the freedom to live the way we choose to live. He's not forcing himself on anybody. He's not forcing us to follow him. Because worship that is forced is not true worship. Love that is forced is not true love. And so he said, all right, here are all of the things you need to know. It is your choice and your life to live, and you live that out, and we'll see where you go. But there is a cliff at the end of this life, and God has jumped up and down for thousands of years through prophets and preachers, through his son first and foremost, and said there is a way to not go there. There is another way that you can go. And so we can see the mercy of God, that hell was never created for us, but it does exist, and, and our choice is whether we are going to get close to that fire or whether we are going to turn around and go the other way. When it comes to hell, not all Christians believe the same things about that. Not all Christians are on the same page. We have talked regularly at this church over the last number of years about uh, what Romans 14 calls disputable matters, that there are matters of the faith that are not disputable at all. We are not open up being, opening up a discussion. We are not open to debate on them. There are matters of the faith, just the core elements of who is Jesus, what is the place of God's word, how does somebody get to heaven, uh, you know, what is the nature of God, and, and things like that where we say, yeah, yeah, we're, we're not debating those things. We, we agree on those things. There are core matters that are not in dispute. But then there are other things where the scripture is not as crystal clear. 
And I'm so grateful for Romans 14, because Paul actually deals with that. Paul says, you know what? Uh, there are places where loving Christians can disagree with one another without throwing rocks at each other and calling each other a heretic. There are matters that we can disagree on when the scripture is not as clear. And so in Paul's day, this was happening. And in Romans 14, he's saying, hey, here's how we deal with this in a loving way, when we're not on the same page, when we have a theological disagreement. And so hell is one of those things that falls into this category. Now, some of you right now are saying, no, it's not. There's only one way to look at it, and it's blasphemy otherwise. And that's what I was taught when I was in Bible college. There is one way to look at hell, and anything else is heresy. What I'm throwing out in this series is, that's a ridiculous statement, and I wish I had never been taught it. And I only say that because, and I hope you know my heart well enough by now, that it's just always so important to me that we are fair to the Scripture. That we all have convictions, and we all have things that we are taught, but we have to be always fair to the Scripture. And part of being fair to the Scripture sometimes means listening to a view that is different than ours, with a reasonably open mind, and not because we're trying to be convinced, or not because we're trying to be edgy or provocative, but simply asking the question, what is your take on what the Scripture says? Now, I might think your take is ridiculous and wrong as I look at it, and I might say your conclusions aren't good, but we should always be willing to take a look at the Scripture. We should never be afraid of that. And if we are afraid of that, we're in danger of just shutting ourselves off and being wrong a lot of the time. So there is no truth that won't still be truth if we measure it by the truth. Does that make sense? And if there is truth that we are holding on to that isn't actually truth, then shouldn't we want to get to the truth? If there are things we believe, my theology in some areas has evolved over the years. Where I went, oh, I used to believe this very strongly, but as I wrestled with the word, uh, my, my view shifted over time. We were talking this morning, the Apostle Paul's views uh, shift even a little bit from the book of Acts. He, he changes his mind on idols and foods that are sacrificed to idols. He evolves a little bit in some of his theology. And so we should never be afraid just to say, hey, what does the scripture say? And we're not trying to be edgy, we're not trying to be provocative, but we are trying to say, what does the scripture say? And so Christians uh, can disagree on the area of hell. And so there's a few different ways this looks like. So first is the classic view. If you have grown up in church, this was your view. Uh, this is the view that some of you uh, want to throw rocks at me right now for suggesting that there's any other view than this view. And so this is the classic view of hell, which is that hell is a place of eternal conscious torment. And that is the phrase that theologians will use, ECT, eternal conscious torment. Hell is the place that when the wicked die, they go and they will be tormented. They will be awake, alert, and tormented for all eternity. That's the classic view, and that's what I was certainly taught growing up in church. But that's not the only way that Christians look at that. There's a second view that we will look at in this series called the annihilationism view. Uh, and if that's too long a word, just think annihilate. And this view says that hell is a place of temporary conscious torment after which the person is destroyed for good. So hell is not a place where someone is tormented forever. They will be there for a time. They will be punished for their sins, and then they'll be snuffed out, just like a piece of paper you throw on the fire. It doesn't stay paper forever. There's a point where it's just gone. And there is scripture that points to that as a possibility. People who believe this aren't just making it up. Uh, there is scripture that, that's, that talks about that, which we will get to as we go. The last one I wanted to talk about, because it comes up a lot these days, the universalism view. And this is the view that hell is a place of temporary conscious torment through which all people will be purified and then saved. 
So universalism believes that everybody will go to heaven and everybody will make it there. So hell becomes a place of refining. It becomes a place where God deals with your sins so that you can be purified. Uh, the purgatory idea ties into that a little bit if you grew up Catholic at all. And so this is one that comes up a lot right now. This is something that people are, are discussing a lot. So I wanted to make sure that we were taking some time to discuss it. These three views are not equal to each other. Uh, they are not equally supported by scripture. And so I want to make that clear. I'm not endorsing all three views. I have convictions which will come out as we go through the series. If you want to know what they are, you're just going to have to show up. But we're going to talk about the pros and cons of each one. We're going to look at the scriptures behind each one. And we're just going to wrestle through some of those tough questions about who God is. And so, again, if you miss a message, I would encourage you to catch up on it. Because uh, there's a lot of stuff that you, you might miss in the overall picture of this series. And so all three of these views have some things in common. They all agree that hell is a place. And within those views, there might be extremes. But generally, they believe that hell is a place. It's not a metaphor. Uh, it's not a symbol for difficulties that we go through here on earth, that hell is a place that exists after we die. They all generally agree that it's the place of punishment for sin. It is the place where, uh, where we pay the price for what we did, and, and God makes things right because he is just as he delivers his judgment. And they all generally agree uh, that Jesus is the one who offers salvation from this place, that there is not, uh, so, there's not anything in the hearts of God, in the heart of God, that desires anybody to go there that he has taken punishment so that we don't have to take punishment, just as we celebrated a communion, that God has been willing to let someone else die so that we don't have to die, someone else be punished so that we don't have to be punished. And so Jesus offers the way out, and not just in the afterlife. Jesus offers us strength and hope in this life now. He comes to bring us the fullness of life now. And so we'll dig into some of these things in the weeks to come. But scripture says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That if you will acknowledge Jesus is Lord, and it's not just about saying the words, it is about saying, I will trust you as my Lord, I will follow in your ways, and I will uh, reorient my life towards living your way, that I was headed on a path to go off that cliff, but I'm going to shift that path now and live after the way of Jesus. John wrote in 1 John 2, 6, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. We are going to turn things around and walk in the ways of Jesus. And as we do that, we are still going to stumble. There will still be struggle and effort involved, but we are going to orient our lives to live Jesus' way. Because there are two paths we can go in life. We can follow the devil straight into hell, and that is the freedom that God gives us, or we can follow Jesus into the kingdom prepared for us from the foundations of the world that is offered to us as well. Come on up, worship team. We're just about done here. We have an email address, questions at meadowbrook.ca. I imagine this series will raise questions, and so encourage you by all means to let us know what those questions are, and we will jump into uh, the classic view of hell next week and start to dig into some of the scriptures surrounding that. Uh, we'll take some time to do that. There was a man, uh, and I've shared his story before. His name was John Newton, and he was a sailor uh, a couple centuries ago, 
and eventually his sailing caused him to get involved in the slave trade. And so he was a British man, and he would take his ships down to Africa, and they would take slaves who had been kidnapped or sold into slavery, and they would send them all over the world. And John was on a trip home one day with a, a ship full of slaves to take and, and spread to the world. And as he did that, uh, this terrible storm kicked up, and the boat began to break apart, and part of the hull uh, had a hole in it, and water started to pour in and they were looking like they were doomed. And so he was not a great man, obviously. He's involved in slavery. He's not a good guy. He's not walking with Jesus. But he cries out to the Lord and says, Lord, save me, save us, save us. And as he prayed that, uh, a big part of the cargo broke away from it where it had been tied down and it slid to the other side of the boat and it went up against the hole and it sealed it enough that the ship was able to stay afloat and get to safety. And that was the beginning of his, go, his turn, of him going, wow, is this God real? Is there something to this? And he eventually gave his life to Jesus, eventually began to fight against the slave trade where he spent most of his life. But uh, understanding who he had been, he was a drunkard and he had taken people in chains. He had ripped children away from their parents and sold them into slavery. He had done these horrific things. And he wrote this song that you all know, which originally was called Faith's Expectation and Promise. And we know it much more familiarly from its first two words, which is amazing grace. And he wrote that song based on his own experience of grace, that he had been the worst. And by God's grace, he had been saved. And he has a quote. It's one of my favorite quotes of all time. It's a quote that applies to every single one of us. It's a quote that can be said in basically any situation. He came to the end of his life, and he was reflecting on the grace that he had been given. He was reflecting on all of the wonderful uh, mercy that God had shown him in spite of his sinfulness. And he put it this way. He said, as an old man, although my memory's fading, I remember two things very clearly, that I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. And that was where he landed in his hope. And so we're going to worship a little bit more before we go today. And uh, we'll close off in just a moment. But as we do, as we get ready to worship, just encourage you, wherever you are at with Jesus today, we're going to sing a song uh, about how death was our destiny, but Jesus has raised us to life and, and all of the greatness and goodness uh, that he has shown to us in our lives. And as we sing it today, uh, take a moment. If you have never said yes to Jesus before, if you are on that path and you know you're on the wrong path. You know you're heading off the cliff. Take this song, if you're willing and if you're ready, uh, take the words of this song to, to commit yourself to that shift. Take this song to ask for forgiveness. Take this song to reorient your life. And even if you've done that before, if you've walked with Jesus for a long time, you do that too as we sing this song. Take this song just to recenter yourself on Jesus, recommit yourself to him, re, uh, get refilled with the Spirit, forgiven once again for your sins. Take this time just to get right with Jesus once again. Would you stand with me, please? The words will be up here on the screen. Just as we get ready to close, we have prayer people up here at the front, our prayer team. They are trained by us. They are professional and confidential, and uh, we trust them and have released them to pray. So if you need prayer for anything, uh, maybe something that came out of the message today, maybe any other need in your life, uh, I've said this before, but just so you know, God is answering prayers at the altar. As people are willing to come forward and say, can you cry out to God with me? Uh, God is listening, and God is responding. And so we encourage you, take advantage 
message uh, as we do that. And as we do, if you're not wanting to pray, that's okay, but we'll just ask you to move out of here so that we can let this be a place that's just quiet and respectful of those who want prayer today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for uh, everything that you are doing in our lives. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for new mercy every day. Thank you for the hope that we have in you, Jesus. And these things we are discussing are not easy things necessarily, but we trust that there is a wisdom that comes from God. There is a revelation that comes by your spirit. And so we pray for that wisdom for us, Lord. Give us wisdom as we wrestle with your word. Show us the truth by your Holy Spirit and help us, Lord, to learn how to live out of this place of truth as we talk about this topic in Jesus name. Amen. God bless you. Come on forward if you'd like prayer today.